1: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
0: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 77 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporters Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and today I am very thrilled to be joined by a guy who makes me laugh about as much as anyone, Will Forte. Porte first came to the public's attention during his eight-year stint on Saturday Night Live. But in fact, he was on the scene for years before that, as a writer for the likes of The Late Show with David Letterman, Third Rock from the Sun, and That 70s Show. While at Saturday Night Live, he ventured into movies, making a spin-off film of his sketch, MacGruber. Subsequently, he appeared in a number of other films, including one that took a lot of people by surprise and earned him a lot of accolades, including the National Board of Review's Best Supporting Actor Award. That was in Alexander Payne's black-and-white drama, Nebraska, which ended up with a Best Picture Oscar nomination. Since then, Forte has returned to the world of comedy, namely for the last two years in the Fox comedy series The Last Man on Earth, on which he serves as not only the star, but also a creator, writer, executive producer, and showrunner. For its first season, he received two Emmy nominations, for Best Actor in a Comedy Series and for Best Writing of a Comedy Series. For its second season, he has received another one, for Best Actor in a Comedy Series. Over the course of our conversation, we talk about Forte's circuitous journey to the world of comedy. He was a financial broker before finding his way to it. We talk about why he actually turned down an invitation to be on Saturday Night Live the first time it came, and why he was almost fired three years into the run once he joined it. We talk about why he was so drawn to quirky characters of the sort that often end up at the 10-to-1 time slot on Saturday Night Live, and why he resisted the opportunity to portray George W. Bush on the show. We talk about the poor reception that McGruber received, and the unexpected opportunity to appear in an Alexander Payne film, and the pleasures and perils of making The Last Man on Earth. I think it's a fascinating conversation with a lovely guy, so I hope you'll enjoy it as much as I did. Let's go to that. Well, thank you so much for coming in and doing this, and to begin with, we always just ask, where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for a living?
1: Thank you for having me, first of all. Uh, I was born and raised in Oakland, California. Grew up 13 years in Moraga, which is about 15 minutes away from there, 20 minutes away, and then 13 to 18 in Lafayette, and then came down to UCLA. All right. and my parents' mom was an elementary school teacher, but then quit that and just became a stay-at-home mom. And my dad was in the financial industry. He was a stock analyst and then became a, a money manager and then became kind of a ski bum so it's
0: so a good trajectory
1: so yes. now how would you characterize
0: your childhood i'd read that you were the class president as a freshman you were best personality as a senior it seems like you were pretty put together sometimes you hear about people who get into comedy and it was a disaster as a, a child it doesn't seem that way with you you know i had
1: a very happy childhood I, I loved it my parents were great very supportive had an older sister two years older and we got along really really well i mean that you know the Classic brother sister arguments, but not too bad. Still very close. Yeah, it's weird because I hear that all the time, and I I don't know if that's and this is me making a huge generalization, yeah. but but so many people I came up through the improv world yeah. and sketch comedy stuff, and it it seemed to be a generally happier sort in that side of it. And I, I right. don't know if it's just a stand-up thing or if I just lucked out and and was around a bunch of well-adjusted people. <laughs> that said, right. if, the older I get, the more I realize nobody's well-adjusted right. and, and nobody's as normal <laughs> as they seem. And I certainly right. have my, my quirks.
0: Well, was comedy something that appealed to you from
1: as far back as you remember? Or when did that enter the picture as an interest? You know, it's it's weird because I always loved it. And I I don't know that there was an exact time that I... I thought, oh, this is what I should be doing. But then I look back and I think maybe there was a part of me all along that was like, oh, I want to be at Saturday Night Live. I mean, that was I would just because watch you watch it as a kid, right? SNL as a kid, yeah. and Letterman was a huge part of my life growing up. You know, I, I would always be really tired because I would would just stay up and and watch Letterman in the you know the mid '80s and and uh, until I went down to college. And just got drunk all the time, <laughs> but that was what I liked to do: was just watch those guys, and that you know that definitely contributed to the stuff I do. And I, and I I still can't believe you know two of my probably big four things that I grew up loving I got a chance to work at. So it's you know what a blessing that is to get to work at Letterman and work at SNL. S&I. <laughs> right. I just you know. And what were the other two? Steve Martin. Yeah. Person and then just you know, Monty Python, uh, Kids in the Hall, all uh, just tons of stuff. I love the state when the state came yeah. out. Just got to work with David Wayne, so that was really fun. The but David. I mean, so many Peter Sellers was huge, also. So I I loved all all the you know, he and Steve Martin were like my two main acting idols. So you go off to college and you get your degree,
0: and then at, at that point, what did you think your future was going to be as you were coming out?
1: I I just assumed I was going to do what my dad did. Uh, I worked at at uh, God, I don't even know what it was. Uh, Shearson Lehman, but they it was in a period where they kept changing their names, like, Smith-, so it was like Barney. Smith Barney <laughs> Shearson, and Shearson. Is, so this so, uh, is uh, in Beverly Hills. In Beverly Hills, yeah. So so I would go in there. I, it started as an internship my senior year of uh, of college, and then I was there for about a year and a half after college, and it just wasn't for me, everyone was, was really nice, but I just, uh, oh God, I would, I would just wake up depressed. I would, you know, it was like, there was a, like I was lugging around a big rock in my (laughs) stomach every day. So. And you had gone there just because it seemed like the
0: responsible thing to do or because you didn't know what else to do or what was, what, why did you end up there in the first place?
1: It was what my dad did. I I don't know. I, I, I was, my dad was my hero still is uh-huh. I I love my dad but uh, the other part is I just didn't I didn't know and I I think gradually it became apparent that I think I had been wanting to try to do comedy for a long time. We had a bunch of really fun crazy friends growing up and we would do a bunch of weird things, but it was never any kind of concerted effort to do comedy, but it was I don't know. I and then then there was this weird period where well, for a while, I started out just writing. I got together with this friend of mine from college. And this was while you're still at Smith Barney. While I was still at Smith Barney, yeah, I was just started to have some sort of an outlet. I started writing stuff and wrote a couple just bonkers screenplays <laughs> that I just I mean, it was just like a collage of words more than more than a screenplay. Actually, some of this, you know, she she was fantastic. So she was really good at reining it in. It was it was really fun writing with her, and I learned a lot. But then then I just, I don't know, somebody told me about the Groundlings, and I just thought, why not try it out? The weird thing was, like, that was the hardest thing for me, was telling my family that I was going to try comedy, because in a weird way it felt like I was thinking that I could make it. Or something, so I almost told them, like I know I'm not going to be good at it, but I just think I want to try it, you know, so because i didn't i don't know I felt because like you were it, it felt like bragging to me if I even said I was going to try to do comedy. it felt like <laughs> I was saying that I thought I was funny in order to, to take classes
0: initially with is that how it works with the Yeah. Yep. so in order to do that though, you were having to
1: literally just give up the day job or i'd no. left I left the financial job and but I got other I did other jobs actually at first I had tutored Faye Dunaway's son <laughs> I had a buddy who oh, who God. did it in college and and so I met him he was a great kid this kid Liam who's now like 40 or right, something like that right, or, right. or 35 but back then he was 13 and just a sweet guy and and then my my friend moved away so since we had hung out, I had taken care of him one day when he couldn't do it. So so we had known each other and I moved in, did that job. So that was what I did for a while. Did Mommy Dearest have any acting advice for you or any, you know, anything like that? No, at that point, I think I was, it was so early in the process that it was, you know, you don't, get up on stage for a while in front of people at least in the groundlings you're always up on stage you know doing improv and but it's it's all in front of the other people who you're taking the the different class levels with and i just didn't bring it up with her right. but it's it, like after god i think i know that he came to yeah she came to snl too at some point when oh, that's after too that funny. it was it was really fun to to hang out cuz it was so different cuz right. i was so timid back then i still it was pretty timid around here but (laughs) so at the groundlings
0: you're beginning to find your actual passion right and at the same time i've read about something called 101 things to definitely not do if you want to get a chick what was what was
1: that yes uh that was after the first screenplay that me and my friend ann wrote and right after i worked at well it wasn't like i stopped working with Faye and her son but he would just be back during the summers And then he'd go to a school during the the rest of the year. So I would just, you know, for long stretches from fall to to spring, I'd just be doing other jobs. I worked at this music publishing company called Peer Music. And I don't remember if I had a lot of time on my hands or if I was just shirking responsibility. (laughs) The the latter is probably more likely. But I just started writing out these dumb (laughs) cartoons. They were so dumb. (laughs) And my agent, Matt Rice, who I went to college with, Actually at this point he wasn't even my agent. I had just sent him this screenplay. He was like, Oh, that's pretty good. That's all right. And I just decided, Oh, I'll send him these cartoons just because they made me laugh so And they're literally not? like comics. They look like comics? Or? It's it's a bunch of basically one panel things advice on you know, what not to Do if you want to get a chick. And they're all really (laughs) stupid. Do not kill their pets. You know, do not take them out to dinner and attempt to pay with a pile of feathers. (laughs) It's like (laughs) just really, really stupid. But then that somehow got me my first job at uh, Julie Darmody, who was then Julie Wixon, who was not my manager, but was, I think she was a manager at the time. She knew Mia Apatow and Mia Apatow liked the cartoons, gave them to Joel Gallen. Yep. And then I was writing on the Jenny McCarthy sketch show at MTV. So that was the that was the launch. For that like was the video. start of it. And then right afterwards, this was the most exciting thing. That's how I got to Letterman is they sent the cartoons. And David Letterman <laughs> read them and liked them. So that got me an interview. And I had to write a packet of stuff. But my packet was not very good. So it's got to be the, it was the that. cartoons. That's amazing. Yeah. And now they're just gonna they're gonna get published. So oh, that's, that's really, really exciting. Awesome. it wow. fun kinda. Comes
0: full circle, yeah. Yeah. So you're writing for Jane McCarthy, that then you go on to Letterman, then Third Rock from the Sun yep. and eventually that seventies show where I think you also were now a producer as well as a writer. Yep. All of this seems like it was moving along nicely and you were very much on the the writer's path. Did you ever yeah. think that acting was gonna re enter the picture?
1: I didn't. I was I gotta say I was I was incredibly happy writing there's so many great people and and especially the, the the last couple jobs I'd loved every job I had but a lot of them I'd, I'd worked at the army show and then action and they were great experiences but but they were very short lived so so to get to a place like third rock from the sun and know that you have a little job security and Bonnie and Terry Turner just know how to make shows and create environments with really wonderful people that you want to spend time with because that's so important there. So i got to stay on third rock from the sun until they ended. And then I was one of the lucky ones that got to go. Greg Mettler and I got to move from third rock from the sun over to that 70s show, Mm -hmm. which was a very similar experience in that like bunch of very fun people, a show that you really like, which is, you know, you don't always get to do that, right, right. of course. And, and it was just, the hours were insane. When we worked, we would work hard, but we but it was just a very focused group, and we would get stuff done quickly. And, God, I try to implement that style over at Last Man on Earth, and I just, I, I'm just slow. I'm very <laughs> slow. So always trying to emulate them, but... but rarely, rarely do.
0: Now, during this period when you're writing for these different programs, were you continuing to show up at the Groundlings once in a while, or was this, because I, I believe you eventually uh, became part of the main stage company,
1: yeah, yeah, but was that overlapping, or was it in between, or how did that work? I would be doing that on the side, and of course, I had more time when, when I was on all these failing shows, uh, <laughs> obviously, but but then it was harder when I got to, to Third Rock and to 70s show, but I would still, during the, the uh, spring hiatus, I would still go and try to do a round of shows, and then Lorne Michaels came to one of the shows I happened to be at, and that was how I got the SNL audition. Okay, so I have to ask you, because as I've read it, the
0: first time he saw you was in 2001, I believe, yep. and... Likes you a lot. Asks you to audition. You go in and do it. He's very pleased with it and offers you a, a spot. And then you do something that is almost like unimaginable to some people, which is that you said, <laughs> you know what? It's okay. I'm not. I'm actually not interested. Is that? I'm sure there's more to the story. So it was what definitely was, not
1: as nonchalant as that. <laughs> it was – I was tortured. I didn't even want to audition in the right. first place because this is – you know, this is a dream for me. Keep in mind, I had been at Letterman, I think it was five years before that, maybe four years, and just didn't do a good job there. Not that I am confident in my writing. I like my writing. I, I I just didn't do a good job there somehow. So I, I tried really hard. It just didn't work out. So that it was a very stressful experience and and disheartening that, like, oh, this is, you know, I kind of got a chance to, Work for one of my heroes, and I didn't do a good job. And you know, after nine months, I I got let go, and uh, I would have been happy getting let go after three months. I just (laughs) was not. I was not good, and it was so. I was terrified that the same thing would happen with SNL. Like I killed one of my dreams. Yeah. What you know, I don't want to kill this other one. Mm -hmm. So I almost didn't even audition. And Lauren, Lauren just. Really talked me into it. It was a last-minute thing where, okay, you have a red eye tonight. <laughs> they have booked one for you, and I'm like, oh. and my girlfriend at the time said, just do it. So I got on the plane and flew all night and tried to figure out my audition. And do you remember what you did? I do. I, I mean, the good thing it wasn't. It wasn't like I was doing stuff from scratch. I right. was. It's it's all stuff that I had done at the Groundlings for years so it's you know it's I'm not a great auditioner but this is a different type of audition where you're doing stuff that is your stuff so you don't have to interpret somebody else's stuff you just like do your thing they like it or not so I did uh, Tim Calhoun (laughs) my favorite thank you (laughs) Uh, uh, this speed reader character which ended up making it into one of the shows in the second season this prison guard character I did an impersonation of Martin Sheen which was (laughs) horrible (laughs) I said, uh, it was something like, uh, hey, this is Martin Sheen. Uh, I have had a cold, so if if I don't sound like myself, it's because of the cold. But if I do sound like myself, I guess my cold has gone away. It was, it, it was, right. it was a little better than that, but, but not much better. Right, right, or maybe that was better right. than it was. And then I did Joni Mitchell singing. She had a cover album coming out. It was like doing her songs to the, to the tunes of other things. But it was like, Mama's don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Do not let them play guitars and drive in you know, old trucks. Let them be doctors. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so... And then the final thing was this, probably my favorite thing I've ever done at the Groundlings, which was this gold man you know those people on the streets who are all in gold or all in silver yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and they they just sit there and then if you put money in their thing they, they make robotic movements yeah. and and so I had this sketch about one of those guys and it's a long wind up where I'm <laughs> I'm standing there somebody puts money in I do some movement somebody else puts money in do a little movement then everyone goes to watch a sword swallower and somebody comes out actually it was Jim Rash who, who yeah. used to do it at the Groundlings he comes out takes the money out of the hat and walks away. But since he has not put money in, I can't move. So he's <laughs> takes it and just kinda of, he sees that I'm not gonna move, so he just kinda of slowly saunters away. <laughs> Everybody comes back. Oh, I like the sword swallower, but let's let's see this. So somebody says, Why is the gold man crying? <laughs> well, the son, maybe if you if you put a dollar in he'll tell you and maybe if you put two dollars in, he'll tell you in song. <laughs> so I sang this Song, which is this very sweet song, but in the end, it turns out the kicker is that I suck cock for my face pain. <laughs> and then the whole song just becomes about cock and face pain. And then soon the words, it's just the only words that I'm saying are cock, 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 cock face pain, cock, cock, face pain, face pain, cock, cock. It's just like, it's nuts. So I did that, and I remember at the end of my audition, I walked out, and Lauren kind of came over to shake my hand and say, thanks for coming, something like that. And I just said, uh, sorry for all the cocks. <laughs> and, I just, and then I left, and I got the job. So he he then, after a little while,
0: calls you up and says you've got the or who Because I believe they can be vague about it, right?
1: Yeah, sometimes it's a little vague, but – I left, I had a short meeting with him after that. He said, stick around. I went in there and and talked to him for a couple minutes, but I I wasn't quite sure. He said some very nice, positive things, but there was nothing so final like, we would like you to work here, would you like the job? So (laughs) So I went home and I did find out the next day that they were offering me the job. And that had been in
0: 8-H when you did the audition?
1: Yeah, 8-H, you're right on the monologue stage. It's really cool, but really scary. And I had never really done any kind of TV stuff. I had just been on stage and was kind of, you know, when people (laughs) say, oh, go downstage, I have to think for a second. Oh, that's right, because, you know, everyone tells you, oh, it's because in the days of uh, Shakespeare, (laughs) the (laughs) stages were rigged. I don't know. So 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 it's like now dealing with cameras and stuff. Right. So
0: you tell them no. Was there any, as far as, you know, I've decided I'm not going to take this. Was there any back and forth after that, or they're just like, this guy's nuts, he's, he's, he's saying no to this?
1: I don't really remember. I have a horrible memory. I think there was a little a little back and forth. The main thing was I just was terrified, and I didn't want to. It was like, oh, my God, now I'm even closer to this thing. I don't want to blow it. I don't want to have this dream not not be there. And in addition, I have this on the writing side is a dream job, And I think we had just gotten picked up for two seasons with that '70s show. With that '70s show, making good money. My dad, coming from the financial side of things, I had lived through ups and downs, and you know he took it hard in some of those crashes. And I always had this kind of fear of money, and yeah, just I. I, But but the main thing was being being scared of uh, of screwing it up, and which is weird because now I look back and I. And and this is during that the rest of that year, watching that show was very very hard because you're thinking this this is oh I I could have have been doing that and I just realized you know I had told myself oh maybe you know I'll just stay out here I'll make my own short films and this is before like YouTube and Mm -hmm, stuff like that mm -hmm. so this was just hoping that you would do like a Spirit of Christmas and get the VHS tapes (laughs) passed around right and I of course I just sat around I played video games the whole time. <laughs> and so how did it come about that you got a, a second
0: chance at this?
1: Well, I just got lucky that I uh, had a couple friends who were... the Meyer Rudolph, who I had known from the Groundlings, was still there, and Emily Spivey, so we had seen each other at a couple weddings, and uh, they said, uh, you know, Lauren still asks about you. Would you have any interest? And in, in, in that period, I just thought... I'm an idiot. I can't. I can't live my life out of fear like this, and and you know, money concerns and everything. Just everything that went into it. It all became clear that I had just made a a, a bad choice. So I realized that if I got the second chance, I would do it. So so it came back around somehow. So do you have to audition again, or how did the how
0: did it come about that you actually?
1: I did have to audition again. But he said it's just a formality, just come out so we can get you on tape. I don't know, maybe he wanted to, you know, see if I had, you know, <laughs> lost my nose or something. I don't know. <laughs> but my nose was in place. Right, right, right. And it was uh, terrifying. And I got to say, Mark Brazil, who was the head of the uh, Seventy show, could not have been better. He said, go do this. You have a place here. If If it doesn't work out, you just come right back here. I could not have felt more supported in that way. Right. Carsey Werner was great to me. The Turners, obviously, who had been at SNL for a long time, they were just the whole group was supportive, and I almost didn't want them to be supportive because <laughs> I just I was so scared to do this right. that I didn't want to. So, Well, it comes through.
0: You go. You join in 2002 with, I think, at the same time as Fred Armisen as a yep. featured player. Will Ferrell's just left. I'm curious what the... <laughs> the mood was like there when you arrived, but also what it was like now to be working with Lauren, who you'd put on this great pedestal and who, from everything I've gathered, particularly from that SNL oral history, which I know you treasure as well, uh, the one that I think Tom Shales and whoever else, it seems like his M.O., deliberately or not, is to sort of withhold approval... Which makes people want to work for it even more, which there are people that do that, so anyway, you're now in the pool of all of
1: this there. What was it like to actually you know be there? It was terrifying. <laughs> it's hard for me to really say what it was like because everything was so new to me, I didn't have any kind of context for what it what it normally is like. so the first couple of years were really just felt like I was floating around <laughs> trying to figure it out i I, I really had tremendous stage fright. I was kind of nervous when I would perform in front of 99 people in front of the ground. In fact, really nervous. I would get nervous there. And and then you know, this being my first job on TV and you're, you know, the it's not a super imposing studio. It's not, it's not huge in that way. But, but just knowing that millions of people are potentially watching you screw up, that was, <laughs> that was scary. And I remember my first my first line, I, I just had one line in a sketch, and it was, dude, I told you he was gay. And I, <laughs> it was Matt Damon was playing Hannibal Lecter in college. <laughs> and I just remembered when the time came, I, I, I was like, is my mouth gonna work? Is this gonna <laughs> happen? And I, I, it barely came out. Mm-hmm. I don't, so so the first several years, we're, we're fighting that. But let's just know you were elevated after only
0: one year, whereas it it normally takes two to become a a, a regular
1: member of the cast. Right? I think that that was all contract stuff. I don't think that was like oh he's really great. I you know I think that probably my lawyers, you know, <laughs> Lauren was like I gotta get to, I gotta sweeten the pot <laughs> or something. <laughs> Things didn't really change until I, of course at some point I had to do George Bush, which Terrified me. I was not comfortable with it. You, see, you heard my impersonations earlier. I'm not good. I'll, the other thing is, I love Will Ferrell with all my heart. He's one of the funniest people I've ever seen. You know, one, certainly up there in my pantheon of of comedy heroes. And to have to take over. I know a couple people. Had, you know, Chris Parnell had been doing a little bit. Daryl had done a little bit. And then and then it was my turn to take a stab and and i didn't want anybody to do george bush after will ferrell why do you think they asked you to do that i don't know i I really don't know i
0: actually think you were you were you were excellent
1: but i mean you you didn't feel comfortable in it you just no i there were a couple times when i felt like oh that one was okay but i just that was during a period when i would go out and i would be able to like a, uh, the Falconer, I w- I would write that with Sloven and Alan. The three of us did that together, and so I felt this ownership over it, and I could just do it exactly how we wrote it, because I knew exactly what it took. But for stuff that other people wrote, I would kind of go and do it timidly. I would in my head I'd be I'd be remembering when I would write stuff for people and be disappointed in how they were doing it, you know. And that wasn't yeah, always the yeah, case, yeah. you know. You write for John Lithgow, and you're always happy with how he says it. He's so great, <laughs> right? Right. But but sometimes that's not the case, and that was what I would think people were thinking about me as I as I was doing their things. So certainly with George Bush, I was that was a a major factor. I wouldn't write any of that stuff. It would always be toward the top of the show. Usually, it was uh, m- most of the times it would be the cold open, and we had such a big cast at the time that that a lot of times. The crazier stuff that I would write just wouldn't make it in because they have to get everybody in the right. show, and I already have my thing, which is this Bush thing that I don't want to do. <laughs> so at the end of my third season, they have to tell you at a certain point if they're going to renew your contract. And they held a lot of people off and said they were extending that period of time while they thought about it. And and then one by one, everyone's getting invited back, and I was the last person who was still holding out to, to hear? And Lauren had this talk with me and said, here's my issue with what's going on with you. And I think you're, you have a writer mind right now and you need to be an actor. You need to do these things and own things when they're not your own. And of course I'm going, oh, you're so dumb, man. You have no idea what you're talking about. I didn't say this, right, but in no, my in head I'm head, going yeah. like, old man doesn't know what he's <laughs> talking about. You know, I just thought maybe I would get fired, and then he brought me back, and I just had this uh, kind of "eff it" attitude. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that year I realized he was totally right. I mean, it's, looking back now, it was he's hundred percent right, and it really changed my life at SNL. But but in a lot of ways, uh, changed ev- everything. You know, and I still work on that stuff from time to time, but, like, he, he really kind of pushed me off the cliff there and and uh, did me a major—I mean, he's done so many wonderful things for me, like getting me that job. and Nothing <laughs> at all would—you know, I wouldn't have this show if not for Lauren. Wow. Well, when you say you were upset at having
0: to do Bush because it was taking away the opportunity to do some of the more quirky and absurdist stuff that you— maybe gravitate towards more. I've heard those described as like you were basically the king of the 10 to 1 black, which I guess from what I understand is the stuff that's so quirky that they basically save it. For ten to one AM, ten minutes to one AM, because at that point, if if it weirds somebody out and they turn the channel, you know that you're not you've, you've not <laughs> lost them for that much of what's left of the show. But I mean, maybe I don't know if you would include these in in that group. But the Tim Calhouns or the Falconers or the Zell Millers, which are not going to be for everyone, but the people who love them
1: like totally love them. When I left the show, a lot of I I think a lot of people. Didn't even know I left because <laughs> <laughs> it was so often. Yeah, that late in the show. And, and I remember I came back at some point. And I just think that it was either like you. I've, I had been there when people would come back after they had left the show and you know get these monstrous applauses. <laughs> and I came and I came and did something, and it was just like a. It was almost like a vacuum of applause. And like <laughs> either they didn't know that I left, or they just don't give a shit. <laughs> Which I, it could have been either or a combination of the two. Well, another thing that.
0: You know, just reading things that your former SNL colleagues said about you was that they would make bets because everybody, you know, particularly I think in around the generation that you came up with, there were there were people that often broke character, which you know sometimes you you can't help it; it's just that funny. But in your case, I guess they would make bets that you know that they could get you to do it, or that you you never ever did it, even at the groundlings. Right? Unbreakable. What's your what's your secret? I don't know. I, I guess I just get into character
1: and but you're not ever like I'm thinking d- about a funeral or something you just you can just do it No I I I don't know I don't know why I, uh, for some reason it's just never been something that I've had a problem with Chris Parnell he's he's the ice man he's <laughs> he's the uh, same way that you could can, really? you cannot break him He's he's uh amazing Did
0: you have a favorite character during Did your, I have a favorite character
1: uh or maybe not even sketch I definitely sketch. have a favorite sketch Yeah yeah Which was Peyton Manning was a basketball player and the team was doing really bad. So I was the coach of the team, gave a big motivational speech and then played them a song to motivate them. That's this stupid Herb Albert song, (laughs) Casino Royale. And then I start dancing to it, and that was—that's <laughs> probably my favorite sketch. Because most of the time, like you, you come out and there, some things go all right, in sketches. Yeah. Some it's sometimes everything's kind of working, but this was one that really just like I look at it and I go, "Oh man, I wouldn't change a thing about this." <laughs> it's somehow. <laughs> turned out exactly how I, I wanted it to. <laughs> Even Peyton Manning got up there dancing with you at the end. You just... Uh, oh my god. Took he almost pulled my leg out of I my socket. <laughs> He's so much taller than me. And old old man, no stretching. That uh, was great.
0: So, of course, the character that I guess maybe people most associate with you from the SNL days, and this leads into right before the transition, is McGruber. And what I think I certainly found interesting was that not only was that not your idea, which I sort of assumed it was, because, I mean, you were all in when you, would, when you played him, but it was an idea that you weren't even that into, right, at first?
1: Oh, yeah. I, uh, Yorma Taconi from The Lonely Island would always come into the office, and usually they were, they were writing stuff all together, he and Akiva and Andy, uh, but sometimes we, John Solomon and I would, would suck him into our room Upset the balance there, no. But we we just you know those guys they're they're just wonderful, and we're we're all a very tight group. But but so Yorma would come and write with us every once in a while, and he just kept pitching this this you know he said he said it's, he's like MacGyver's little brother who's just not good at it. and I said ah, I don't I don't I, I don't know. Let's work on something else. And so we just three or four weeks in a row, I would just convince him to write something else and he just wouldn't shut up about <laughs> it. And, and, but I think I think the thing that I was not excited about was if there was something about it being a sketch. So once once we figured out, "Oh, let's do it as a short film." And then we figured out the three segments yeah. of short film structure and then I was super on board. But I you know, we never thought that we would do anything more than just one of them. So the first one was January 07. There
0: were a bunch of them, and Lorne must have liked them because he was the one that suggested the movie, right?
1: Well, every step of the way we kept thinking, oh, this will be the last one. And then it got really fun. And And I think a lot of people said, oh, it's always the same thing. Which is weird to me because I'm very... I hate it when people do sketches that are the same thing. And, of course, it always ends with an explosion. But I think they were pretty different. So that I always fight against when people say, oh, it's always the same sketch. It's like, no, not if you're (laughs) really watching it. It's like, whatever. I'm sorry. I apologize to those people right now. (laughs) They have a right to feel like that. Um, At a certain point, Pepsi came to Lauren and said, would you like to submit some kind of snl sketch for the super bowl with pepsi so lauren came to us i think i think it helped that we were a film structure or whatever uh instead of a sketch i think that might have helped and and it was kind of when we were we were really in our groove with them so we said oh yeah we'll we'll take a shot at that yeah sure and then very quickly thereafter, maybe they found out it was going to be MacGruber that he was submitting, <laughs> and they said, "No, no, no, we're not so interested anymore." <laughs> so Lauren said, "You know what? Just make them anyway. We'll make them on spec, send them to him. We'll make them good, and they'll they'll want to do them." Mm-hmm. So he said, "All right, all right. That's that's Lauren. He's just you know he's super supportive and pushed this thing into existence. We did these." three sketches we we actually were just doing one and then we said oh let's do let's do the other two just because they're you know well they can put them online or something if they choose to do them and then we sent them in and they said you know what we will put these on <laughs> but then they picked the second one instead of the first one the first one was so obviously the one that should have been on it like set everything up the second one is like you're coming into a story that you haven't seen the beginning right. of and but it said the word Pepsi more so I'm assuming oh, that's what it is <laughs> it was delightful to have a Super Bowl commercial on but they should have done that first one <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry Pepsi I gotta <laughs> call you out on that um, and, that's and what, it's just frustrating because you you, I, you know we don't have anything to do with the decision but, no of course um, yeah. but that was what maybe enjoy Pepsi by the way enjoy
0: it <laughs> Great beverage, yeah, great, great beverage. beverage. So that's though what revived the interest in, in, or spurred the interest in well, the movie.
1: Well, then somebody either approached Lauren or Lauren approached them, and and maybe it was even like, "Hey, would you ever think about doing McGruber movie?" Well, I guess I'd think about it. <laughs> and so Lauren said, "Start thinking about a movie," right. and and then certainly within moments after hearing that, it was like, "Oh, don't think about it," you know. Dude, I don't think there's any interest anymore in this and and but it was too late like we had started thinking about it and Lauren was very supportive again and really pushed this thing yeah. into existence and and not just that but got us to a point where we were able to do whatever we wanted and he just protected us and put us in this creative bubble where where we did it for such a low budget, uh, relatively low budget yeah. for an action movie. It was like ten, ten million yeah, bucks, yeah, yeah. and you know we basically could do whatever we wanted to. And he 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 made a couple suggestions. All his suggestions got major laughs. He was <laughs> he was great. He was the one who, I didn't want this in there, but in the movie there is a flashback where I'm talking about how I met. His wife and how they used to date, and then we, you know, there was a, <laughs> abortion and they're all this horrible stuff. But we flash back to him in college, and that was Lauren's idea. Just during the flashback to flash to the three of us in college, and he, and 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 it always gets a really good laugh. Right.
0: Well, there have been a lot of SNL spinoff movies, and I, I don't know if any of them have inspired either the love or the hate <laughs> that McGruber did because people were very there were strong responses
1: right there were very strong responses i am just going to sound dumb i got to be in the movie nebraska and i am as proud of magruber as i am of <laughs> nebraska which That's horrifies no, my parents I it. it's,
0: uh
1: you, you enjoyed it i i loved it i loved it it was you know we didn't go into it thinking let's make a movie for everybody we said let's make a movie for ourselves that we like and people who like the kind of stuff we like will like it but But I had gotten to learn the hard way that when you kind of let things out of your control, I'm a real control freak, (laughs) (laughs) but when you let them out of your control, that's the hardest. I'm used to bombs. I've I've had a lot of different types of bombing experiences. (laughs) But when you bomb with something you didn't agree with, that's the hardest bomb. So like, hey, let's bomb with something we love, mm-hmm. and we—that's what we did, and we bombed with it. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, I think that there was a like a lot of people we really respected, loved that movie, which was exciting. Uh, like Peter Travers, yeah, I, I love yeah. that guy, and he—he. He, so there were certainly some very I positive Nolan, responses, I think, right? Christopher Nolan. I mean, it's it's. I would stand behind that movie with everything yeah, I got. Yeah. But but yeah, certainly there were a ton of people who hated it and and I would I would argue that some of those people didn't give it a chance. Yeah. From the even might not have even watched it. Yeah. And the people who did watch it, you know, I don't know cuz I see well re- reviewed movies that I hate all the time <laughs> and I see poorly reviewed movies that I love. Mm-hmm. So so I you know, I I don't worry that much about reviews. But they're fun to read yeah, when yeah. they're good. Yeah, right. <laughs> which, which we're we're definitely about to hit. But so yeah, so so you know, whatever. I, I I love it, and and we're gonna try to make a second I one. And I don't think so that that cool. would be possible if it was that bad a movie. Right, right. So. And it's not like it lost
0: somebody a ton of money. I mean, it was such as you it say, was so such a cheap load. to make.
1: Yeah. I mean, more than anything, we just had we. That is a group of people I love working with. Every part, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Specifically, John and and Yorma, but then to get you know spend all this time with. With Wig out there and just everyone, Ryan was Philippi was great and Powers Booth Val. It was just you know, Maya. It's it just a fun, fun group of people, and we t- to get a couple months where we all get to hang out again would be a blast.
0: Right. So the same summer, I believe that that came out. You had now had eight years of SNL under your belt. Why did you at that time decide I'm done with SNL? Now is the time to leave. What factored into that decision?
1: For the season before and the season before that, my agent, manager, they were saying this might be the time to to leave. And I would say, I'm having a good time. I want to go back. And they'd say, okay, go back. And then at the end of that season, they'd say, you made the right decision to go back. That was good. And then the next season, same thing. This time they had a stronger argument because they said, look, you just were in a movie that just – she hit the bed in a major way. <laughs> the chances of you getting another movie made through SNL are very slim. You have to move on at some point. Why not now? You know, my initial thing was, well, I, I love it there. I, all my It's like a family to me. Um, but then I started thinking I just turned 40, mm-hmm. and I had to leave at some point, and they had a good point. So I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go, and I'll... We were trying to figure out some kind of plan. It was oh, you know, see if anybody will let me have like small supporting parts in movies and or or get T V work or something, but in the back of my head I was like, if it doesn't work out, which there was no reason to think that I would get any kind of roles or anything, I thought I can just go back to writing, which I which I love. So mm-hmm. yeah, my whole family's on the west coast. I missed it just everything. It's a it's a tough schedule. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really hard. you got to go all in when you're there if you want to do it right. And so you say goodbye,
0: and then that next year, it sounds like it was tough. You've In other interviews, you've called it, a, quote, lost period. You've said it was, quote, emotionally trying. What did you find during that year? And then how did you come out of it with a couple of dramatic parts, which I don't even know if you were seeking?
1: Yeah, for a year, it was – I just thought, oh, I'm just going to – relaxed for a little while my house was a mess i had, so i was cleaning up my house in a really ocd way and <laughs> and not taking any jobs but none were being offered me <laughs> it wasn't like my decision there it was this period of reflection and thinking about what the future was going to be and i just i didn't know and and then i got this call out of the blue from andy sandberg saying that Adam Sandler was doing this movie and he was co-starring with him and, and they had a part for me and and I was very excited so I went and I, I did this it was a really fun experience it, it was uh, That's My Boy, we had a great time doing it in Massachusetts came back from that and then Akiva from The Lonely Island, he was directing this movie The Watch so I, I put myself on tape for I think he wanted me to do this one part, but then I put myself on tape for another one and ended up getting that job. So this, the Lonely Island was really keeping me afloat here. Mm -hmm. And then when I got back from that, basically my agent said, Alexander Payne wants to see you audition for Nebraska. I think she lied to me a little bit because I was I was thinking it, it, the way she phrased it made it seem like he had specifically Solicited. called her like, I need this Will Forte guy on tape. <laughs> I think it was way more like her calling and yeah. saying, hey, if I sent you a tape of Will Forte, would, would you right. throw it in the trash? And he's like, no, I'd probably, you know. <laughs> Put it by the trash. Right. No, no, no. He's, but he's he he looks at everybody. Right. He he is so open casting wise. Was this before or after you'd
0: heard about Run and Jump, which was I, another dramatic?
1: Yes. So I signed on to do somewhere during that period. Steph Green, who also my agent Joe Yao, they is her agent as well, mm-hmm. and so somehow she had thought of me for this this Irish movie called Run and Jump, where I would play an American like an American doctor. I have no idea. There was nothing in my (laughs) canon to... to, uh, Yeah, but she had seen some kind of talk show, I think, where I was talking, and she said, oh, I think that's what I want my doctor to be like. (laughs) So I read the script. It was really different from anything I had ever done. It would be in Ireland. I thought, yeah, why not? You know, if it turns out horribly, nobody will ever see it. if it turns (laughs) out great... Then that's wonderful. Right. So I signed on to do that. Then they had a bunch of money issues which you have when you're trying to get Will Forte to be the <laughs> person who's the of your movie. Right. So during that period where we're, we're kind of waiting to see what's happening with run and jump, I put myself on tape. I almost it was just like the SNL experience. It was like I almost just didn't do it. And then this is at the, the last one. I just okay. said, ah screw it. I'll just put myself on yeah. tape. I remember sending it off the next day and thinking, those aren't so bad. Like I'm not embarrassed by those. Mm -hmm. I didn't think, oh, these will get me the job, but I'm like, my nightmare scenario is like sending in a tape that you think then people look at this, you know, you gotta see this. So I'm like, I don't think this is a pass around (laughs) joke tape. What scenes did you do? Do you remember I did the first scene when I come and pick him up it's the first scene that I'm in when I come and pick him up at the at the police station. Mm So what's this sweepstakes? This is a joke. You know, wh- that scene, I did the scene when I'm drunk in the bar, when mm-hmm. we're we're drinking together. Mm-hmm. By the way, I think my audition tape was better than the the one that I actually really? did in the movie. <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, I can't remember how I did." <laughs> and then uh I sent him off and I never thought another thing about it. It was you just figured, It was just no chance. No chance. People said, were you nervous. It took so long because it was like five months before i heard anything it's like no the moment i sent those off i just didn't think about it again (laughs) you know so five months later you hear from him he wants to meet you in person or he just says you've got it or what he wanted to meet me in person i had just signed on to do this pilot called rebounding so he wanted to meet me in person and then i was just like the snl thing i was like joe should i even go like we had just done rebounding the pilot, and they were testing it, and it was testing really well, and it was looking like, oh, they're they're probably gonna do this thing. So, so I was using that as like a I, I don't, you know, I probably shouldn't even go because I was just <laughs> terrified. I like didn't want to, you know, it was so yeah. out of my comfort zone. And she said, will get in your fucking car <laughs> and drive over there." <laughs> and, and so I I went over there and was very nervous and and did the Audition with him and John Jackson was in there too who's awesome and then at the end of it he said you are a good actor (laughs) and I could not believe it (laughs) I was like that was that was it for me right there like I could have stopped it was bonkers and just said some complimentary things but the thing I remember him saying is like I'll tell you what you are on my short list right now but we're figuring out who Woody is going to be, mm-hmm. and I want to make sure that there's some kind of family resemblance. So as you know, it was, it was just to have heard him compliment. I don't remember exactly what he said yeah, it, but yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. like to hear something from him that was just that would have been enough for me right there. That's great. You know that it was e- even like every step of the way to hear he had liked the tape in the first place. That was enough, and so I just I was like, there's no way though. You know, there's no way there's, you know, you hear about then my agent was talking about all the people they were talking about. I'm like, oh, my God, there's no way I'm going to get this part. But I was it was just really exciting to have somebody that I respect so much like that think I didn't, you know, stink up the room. So so that was very exciting. Then I got the call from him. My mom was there. She was staying. It was it was. I don't know anybody who would have not been surprised by me <laughs> getting this part. And I was leading the charge on that. Like, I was, I, I kept thinking, right. oh my God, they're going to change their mind. They're, they're not going to let them do this. What? And then I would go, but they, you know, I would look at other <laughs> casting choices and be like, well, they, you did he did these things. And, I, you know, I'm, there's no way. And then also, this was the week that the upfronts were, and they, we were still trying to figure out rebounding, I'm like, if they, he wants to shoot this at this time, and if rebounding gets picked up,
0: does it get all fall apart?
1: Yeah, then right. I'm, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, wow. well, we heard, then we heard rebounding was not getting picked up, which was very surprising because it tested really yeah. well, and then they were like, well, d- we might sell it to USA, and I'm like, well, you know, I mean, <laughs> uh, fine, if you want, but, you know, I'm, I mean whatever I really wanted to do it at, at Fox and uh so if it's you know uh, don't, <laughs> it's yeah, just don't like try too hard. and somehow that fell through and I was it was a really wonderful group that rebounding group but that I, I wanted to do this movie so bad and couldn't believe that I got that chance by the way yeah I think it helped that I was in the 12 to 1 sketches and not super well known it, uh or 10 to 1 12 to 1 <laughs> I worked there I should know that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. There's some, like I was such a kind of I was living a sad sack existence at the time, and I think that might have helped. You know that I was kind of a loser. No, <laughs> yeah, well, just maybe <laughs> a little under
0: the radar for some people. Still,
1: there were some guys that I
0: think played themselves more. You, I don't think people knew who you were. What you do? I mean, I had. No, oh
1: yeah, that's a you're, that's a good point. Like, I'm always doing these wacky characters, so.
0: But so well. next thing you know, you're out there. I, I, I know Bruce Dern is a great character, too. We did a oh, interview in best. New York around the time of this when it was supposed to be like, you know, an hour or whatever the usual. And he had just had so many great stories. And I, I said, Bruce, I'm a little concerned because I, I hate to interrupt you, but we're coming up on – yeah, he's like, no, 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 don't worry. I got nothing all day. Let's go. It ended up being like six hours. He was taking <laughs> breaks to call his bookie. He was doing all kind. Of, I mean, the whole thing was surreal. <laughs> but I really felt like I got a, a, a sense of the guy. And he's six a character. Hours. Yeah, it was insane. But I figured, what, what, same thing. I, what would yeah. I rather be doing than oh. hang with Bruce Stern? And my sense from what you've said is that him and Payne were just, it was like being in a master class and that you guys oh, actually yeah. – did the trip that your characters do from Montana to Nebraska? Is that
1: yeah true? We did that. It was, and that was the best trip because we shot the movie for for two months, um, and it, it was c- a constant mental anxiety stuff. Because I was, thankfully, I had gotten the run and jump experience right before, so I was I had that experience with being in Ireland, doing something roughly similar in that it just was. Not comedy. It was like like actually trying to, you know, I'm used to sketch comedy, so I don't know how to, you know, I'm used to making big facial expressions. And so to try to figure out how to make expressions like a normal person, (laughs) it it took a little while. Yeah, yeah. But so so we, you know, once it got to Nebraska, I was still riddled with stress and anxiety, which gradually went away because Bruce and June and Alexander were great to me, and, and it was just, a wonderful experience but so at the end of all the principal photography we did the we started from Billings and drove to Lincoln and they followed us in the uh you know the RV and about Schmidt yeah of course Alexander bought that <laughs> that thing and they mounted a camera to it so Alexander and Faden Papa Michael and like like a bunch of the crew would just yeah. follow us in that and, like, drive against us, and this camera's going all over the place. <laughs> but and it was just you and Bruce in the car. Just Bruce and I in the car. And, you know, we had already, to that point, become very close because uh, we're in these places. None of us have our family there, so we would just go go have dinner every night and spend all day in a car together yeah. or whatever. You know, that whole movie is us next to each other throughout the whole thing. So we became very close, but that car ride was the stress was gone. Yeah. We had done all the stuff. It was just, it was a very special experience. Was there
0: any one great piece of advice you got from him during the making of the film?
1: He would, you know what? It's its weird because in the beginning he would always say something like, just find the truth or t- something about the truth. And, and it was more in depth than that. Yeah, but yeah, But yeah. it was something that I didn't quite know what he meant by it, but really made sense toward the end. You know, just about finding the truth in the character Mm -hmm. and how he explained it was better. But, but like, it made sense for everything because that's kind of how you should approach every single character. It's just like, like, okay, even if it's this crazy balls, SNL, (laughs) over-the-top character, as long as you're like, putting yourself in whatever that person's truth is. Right, right. Okay, this sounds no, douchebaggy. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. Good. Well, look. Whatever, it sounds better coming out of Bruce Dern's
0: mouth. Whatever it was, it worked because you were. your performance was, I mean, obviously he got a ton of accolades, but so did you. I mean, the National Board of Review, which I think is the oldest film awards dispensing organization in America, gave you their Best Supporting Actor That was prize. exciting. I that was, was exciting. there that night. It was a big, I know it meant a lot because- there are many people who made their names in comedy who have tried to do drama, but not all of them are well received. So for that, I mean, and just the whole journey after the movie with the movie, which went all the way to the Oscars and Bruce went there, I mean, was it sort of gratifying to have a a new sort of respect than you might have had before?
1: I I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I almost feel like crying. It was like, this was an opportunity I never thought I would have in a million years and it changed my life in the way that SNL changed my life but in a different way like it you know I always did weird stuff and that was by choice and I never wanted to alter it I never wanted to try to make it more palatable for people I wanted to do my thing and but one of the bad parts about that is you just you know you realize going in that you're not going to appeal to everybody. And so as a result, I came out of there, and I thought, after coming out of SNL, like, I had a great experience. I don't know that people really thought very highly of me, or it's too bad, because I think I'm maybe better than they think I am. And, and you know, whatever. I, I had a great time. What an experience to get to have. You know, and I, also my parents, they just, you know, all the stuff they've seen is Dirty stuff, mcGruber stuff, uh sickened celery in my butt <laughs> to get to have that experience where it's just like I had no business doing that thing and and somehow got that shot, and it just was really a fun thing to share with my family and like I don't anticipate that'll we'll come around again, that kind of thing, so I just really soaked it up, just really enjoyed every moment like i I still remember. I got to go to Cannes and, and like, standing at the top of that staircase with all those people who meant so much to me by that point and just looking down, and I just remembered, this is something you're going to remember forever. Like, this thing, just remember it. And and uh, it was crazy. It's fantastic. And well, I'm back to doing the gross stuff. No, well, <laughs> I have to say, I've only been to
0: Cannes once to cover it, and it happened to be that year, and I remember – just the reception after the film screen and that was the first time anyone who was not a part of it had seen it and it was like you know that was the one that had people chatting constantly and it was and it was Bruce but it was also you and June and anyway it was a cool thing to be around but as you refer to here in the home stretch, I have to ask you and want to ask you about the project that's gotten you different sorts of accolades for the last two years now which we should note are best actor in a comedy series emmy nominations two years in a row for season one also a writing nomination and a show on fox so you did end up having a show on fox that has really been well received last man on earth and so you wear a lot of hats on this one star creator writer executive producer showrunner how did the idea first come about and were you immediately convinced that it would work as a broadcast comedy
1: Well, I'll start with how it came about. Uh, Chris Miller and Phil Lord, I've known for years. They gave me my first acting job, which was a voice acting role, Abraham Lincoln, in Clone High. So we've known each other for years. We are Clippers season ticket holders together. I've done voices in, I did a pretty small role in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, a tiny role in the Lego movie, (laughs) and a kind of slightly larger role in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too. but the... Other people directed that, so I didn't really see them that much. So we had never done anything huge, you know, but those were an hour in the recording booth. Yeah. But we had been friends for for years and, like, really would hang out all the time and, and really get along incredibly well. So when they got a deal at 20th, they approached me about writing something for their part of the deal. And, and so I thought that was great. I was just, you know, to me it was oh, I'll write this thing, and then they can go deal with it. So the three of us got together for a couple of days and went through old notebooks and and found this idea, then just said, ah, no, this is dumb. It just seemed very Gilligan's Island-y, <laughs> which did not appeal to us, which is funny, because now the show very much seems <laughs> like it. But anyway, um, went away from it, and then settled on this other idea... It <laughs> revolved around Val Kilmer living at my house for a couple months, which <laughs> which, which actually did happen. It's a long story. Tied to MacGruber? He was looking for another place in Malibu, needed a place to stay while he was doing that, and I thought it was just going to be for a day or two. <laughs> <laughs> and then his... His assistant showed up with, like, this huge duffel bag of books, or two duffel bags oh of books. And I'm God. like, oh, this is not a good no. sign. <laughs> it, was, it was so much fun, by the way. It was – I look back on that. That's right. one of the best, like, I'll never forget that experience. <laughs> anyway, we were thinking about doing that, but we were not sure the tone of it, like, how much of it is real, how much of it is going to be made up. And, and so, I don't know. We just weren't super clear on it. And then – Chris started putting on his jacket he had to go to a dinner. This is 6 o'clock at night or something like that and something made us go back to that Last Man on Earth idea and there was something clicked in that we, we just thought of it in a slightly more grounded way and then stuff just started pouring Client. out. And, you know and then it was like oh this is this and so it really sealed the deal when when we thought okay well it doesn't have to be crazy balls I mean it's like it's a crazy concept if we handle it kind of grounded and have these fun little dialogue things and we can get weird in different places yeah. I don't know it just started <laughs> started making sense to our brains but we but no we we didn't we thought it would be a cable show for sure if if anything like mm-hmm. you know we didn't know if anybody would like it but certainly didn't seem like a network thing but but went and pitched it and, and had pretty good uh, success with the pitches and uh and you're Phil Miller because there. Yeah, that was just kind of a joke I put in there. When we <laughs> were, you know, we, we, Chris was putting on his jacket. Everyone had to leave. So we just jammed out a right. bunch of stuff for about 10 minutes. And then, you know, over that weekend or whenever I wrote up a, a pretty much what the arc of the season would be yeah. and surprised them with Phil Miller. <laughs> I mean, I just, uh, I thought it was a good everyman name. Right, right. The kind of interesting name, too. And I thought, well, I can't use Phil's name and not Chris's name, so. <laughs> and you got Sudeikis in there. Got Sudeikis in there. <laughs> that was awesome, too, because that was, the last couple of years at SNL were so much fun because I finally had gotten past all the stage fright stuff. And you're a family with everyone, but yeah. he he was somebody who I particularly really got along with, and it became this thing where we would just always try to write together each week because we liked hanging around and that grew into going to karaoke all the time (laughs) and just, you know, we went to Turks and Caicos, he he and I and my buddy John Solomon for my 40th. It was just, I don't it just grew into this uh, real, almost uh, brother relationship. So that's great. Yeah, it was really fun to get him on there.
0: And you like now this balance that you have to maintain between writing and acting. I mean, this is, you're in every scene for the most part I think so
1: do you like it, the the balance I don't know if balance is the <laughs> word because it's it's been hard it's been really hard the first two years I'm trying to trying to change it this year a little bit but the first two years were just insane amount of work I looked back at SNL which was to me oh I'll be prepared for anything now and I've nothing prepared me for this because it's you know it's just being a part of I didn't know what all went into making a show because back when I was writing on shows, yeah, I had a producer title, but I was basically just just still just a writer, you know, in the room, and I didn't know what these guys would decide on. Because how many Uh, episodes a season do you guys do now? We do 18 now. We started 13 our first year, but it's, you know, oh, oh, now you got to pick the font. (laughs) Uh, What font? Oh, uh, font for the this. Oh, okay, okay. And now, oh, the music. The, oh, now there's standards issue on this this thing, and it, it's just every second there's something every issue, yeah. coming at you. And I'm not a good delegator, and I'm <laughs> trying to do that. So it's like the acting was already, especially for this concept. You know, the I'm the only person in the first one, and and one of the only people in the next couple, and even at the heaviest population of the show, I'm, I'm still in there so it's like you know, you gotta wait to write you know, you can't really sit down to write until after the acting day is done and then of course gotta edit on the weekends and the best way to describe it is the first season I was writing until eleven fifty PM on New Year's Eve, went to my next door neighbors, watched the ball drop, came back at twelve oh five and wrote again. Oh like that God. was year one year two was kind of the same because we did more episodes and got backlogged and it was just a year and a half of my life not really I might I have gone out that first year maybe five times oh man at a certain point don't you just burn out like are you able to even produce good stuff when you're under that kind of uh, duress it certainly was very physically challenging yeah. and, and that's I you know we talked earlier I, I put on like probably between, since the start of the first episode, first season, probably 30 to 40 pounds. And I'm trying to get back in shape. And by the way, I, I have no complaints. It's It's all my fault for <laughs> hanging on so hard. And I love the show and I love the people I work with. But it is an odd thing to have this blessing where you get to do exactly what you want to do. But the downside of it is that my friends think of Oh, living the Hollywood life as right. like you know <laughs> rolling up in a limousine to you know paparazzi right. taking your picture as you get out and go into you know this fancy restaurant. <laughs> it's like no, I'm freaking driving my Killing Honda yourself. Civic <laughs> up to Chatsworth every day. In fact, the second season I just got an apartment in Chatsworth because I would yeah. s- stay at the Chatsworth Radisson so much or sleep on the couch. It's just like it's you know, but it's it's also, what a what an experience I've got to have d- d- with these people I love. You know, most of the people on the writing staff are people I've I've known for. I think I counted up the years of friendship, and it's like one hundred and eighty wow, or one hundred and seventy. Wow, wow. it it's it keeps getting bigger because it's like yeah, ten more, people I've known forever, yeah. and it's each year. Yeah, the second season though, w-
0: which which you've just now been recognized for, is. Was that even a little harder in a sense because I'm sure you poured everything you had into season one. There's no guarantees about what what comes next. And then you have to now suddenly surprise people again and and come up with new ways of of doing things and new characters and all of that. Did you find that this season as a writer, as a director, as a showrunner, was it even more challenging?
1: Yes, it, it's it's challenging on, on one side of it because you want to do new things that, that are different from what you've done in the past but the other side of it is that you're getting to know all these characters so much better and the writers so much better and everything gets kind of more efficient everybody's getting on the same page even more than they were so there are these fun I, I feel like we're I wouldn't say it's easier this season but it's we're You're more efficient three. and we're further along than we yeah. were last year. And I've actually been trying to – I'm not going to write on New Year's this year. Good, good, <laughs> good. Well, you deserve a break, and I, I can't thank you enough for all
0: this. It's been so interesting and, and really appreciate you Thank uh, you. It Thanks for having me in. My pleasure. Thank you.